Hello, everybody. Thank you very much for joining us today. It's been a long time since I've done a podcast, and I've been wanting to do them again because I enjoy them so much. But today is a special interview for me because our guest, Dr. Isabella Wentz, is somebody that I've known for several years now. I actually met her at an autism conference. She came up to me and she said, I'm going to be putting out a book soon. And, um, it's on the thyroid. And I thought, great, that's an important topic. But I had no idea that she was going to take the world by storm, put out a book called Hashimoto's The Root Cause. It became a bestseller immediately on uh, the New York Times bestselling list. And now years have gone by, it's still a top-notch bestseller. But she also went on to uh, create an enormous internet presence where she's helped thousands and thousands of people. She's gotten a huge amount of feedback uh, and lots of letters of gratitude from people whose lives she's changed. So um, I think we're really uh, fortunate to have Isabella with with us today. She has another book, and we're going to get into that book. Dr. Isabella Wentz, welcome, and thank you very much for joining us today. Donna, thank you so much for having me, and thank you so much for your work. Um, your really your body ecology diet and your work ha- was a hugely transformational part of my journey of how I recovered my health. And I don't think you mentioned when I um, when I came up to you at the Autism One conference, I was just I was starstruck because I was so excited to finally meet you because your book had tremendously changed my life. So I just want to say thank you for the work that you're doing. It's you've helped so many people. Oh, thank you for saying that. Well, I have been watching the new movie that you've done, which I know no one knows about yet, and, and you're on every scene practically. And my daughter was watching too because she has Hashimoto's, and she said, "Gosh, how old is she?" And I thought, because you look like you're about, you know, sixteen years old, maybe. And it's hard to believe that you have so much wisdom and have done so much already at a young age. I'm just really proud of you for everything that you've done and for where you are right now. And that's why I want people to know about you if they don't already and know about where where you are with the new book. And so could you just give everybody very quickly an idea of how you even got on this path that you're on today? <laughs> well, you know, I was never really interested in the thyroid gland during pharmacy school. So I was more interested in mental health and, and all these other kinds of conditions that had complex pharmacotherapies for them. And that were very, in my mind, very complex and complicated. And it wasn't until I was diagnosed with a thyroid condition myself in 2009 after almost a decade of some pretty confusing and somewhat debilitating symptoms was when I really decided to um, become a Hashimoto's expert slash human guinea pig. And, And that was really because I had to. There was nobody really focusing on the thyroid gland in the same way that that I was. So I was trained in conventional medicine, of course, and I was a pharmacist. And my job was to look at how various medications were affecting various systems throughout the body. And I was working with people with developmental disabilities and really advocating for them because many times they would be placed on medications that were not appropriate for them. Um, there was not a standard of care defined for many of the people that I worked with because many had very rare conditions. And so I decided to use the same methodology that I started using for my clients, which was going on research databases, which was, um, 
contacting with patients and patient forums to see what was working for this population. And I just started using that same um, way that I've been working with, with my clients as a consultant into solving my own health problems. And I came into some really, really fascinating research and started just testing myself and guinea pigging myself, eventually getting myself into remission from Hashimoto's, which by conventional medical standards was not considered to be possible. So since that time, I've been trained in functional medicine, which, which really looks at the root causes of, of, of thyroid disease and uh, chronic illness in general. And I've also been working with um, thousands of patients with Hashimoto's on helping them recover their health. So what were some of those unique things that you discovered that were hidden uh, and you didn't learn them in school? And they kind of woke you up. It's kind of funny because when I talked to somebody in natural medicine, when I first made these breakthroughs, a lot of them were saying, yes, we've been saying this in natural medicine for quite some time now. But one of them was going gluten-free and dairy-free. So for me, I had acid reflux and irritable bowel syndrome um, for, for three years and 10 years, respectively. So I had horrible bloating. I would have to run out of um, meetings to go to the bathroom. I would start coughing and sometimes had to like vomit in trash cans in the middle of meetings because um, of my horrible acid reflux. And it turned out that that was due to gluten and dairy. Once I cut those out within three days, my acid reflux was gone and my IBS was gone. That had been with me for almost a decade. And that was really a big defining moment for me. It was a huge breakthrough that wow, some of these um, alternative or natural interventions actually work. Um, once I got that kind of encouragement, I started to, to unravel some of the layers and dig deeper of, of the imbalances that were present in my body that had led me to develop a chronic condition. You know, I've always thought this is sort of interesting that the thyroid gland, which is so tiny, has such critical uh, roles to play in the body. It's sort of like I think to myself sometimes, God must have a sense of humor because here's this tiny little organ, sort of. I mean, it's not tiny, tiny, but it's in their neck and you can feel it if you feel around your neck, but it does so many things. Can you just give people an idea of why we have a thyroid? What does it do? Right. It's this tiny organ and people don't realize how powerful and important it really is until it, it stops Feels. working properly, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and this little gland has the ever important job of actually managing our metabolism. And what this means is it produces our energy. It helps us burn the calories. Um, it helps us extract nutrients from the foods that we eat. And oftentimes, and it also acts as a thermometer. So essentially, it helps to determine our entire body's temperature. Now, thyroid hormone receptors are present in every cell in the body. And really, the th thyroid hormones play a critical role in so many different processes from, from growing hair to having energy to digestion to fertility. It really impacts just about every system in the body. And um, this is actually one of the reasons why thyroid disease is often misdiagnosed or undiagnosed because the symptoms of when it starts to malfunction can be nonspecific because they affect everything. And you know something they affect that people don't talk about much are your relationships. 
I think uh, a lot of young women, particularly today, who have Hashimoto's or just low thyroid, you know, period, or maybe even uh, overactive thyroid, like a Graves' disease. But you know, they the effect it has uh, in your life, in your relationships. Can you just say a little bit about that? Because I know you felt you have an amazing husband, and I know that you even you know went through this really difficult time too, where you had no energy. Just you know, I want people to. I want people to see that this is one of the reasons that their relationships maybe um, are not great because they don't have any energy. Mm-hmm. This is not something that um, if you if you were to look at thyroid symptoms or read about them in, in some medical textbook that you would find. But in my experience in talking to thousands of men and women with thyroid disease, you have this sort of apathy. And you have a bit of withdrawal where you just, it almost feels like you um, don't have the energy to really deeply care for somebody else in your life and you still care about them, but it just takes so much of your energy that many times, you know, people will withdraw from their surroundings. So they will withdraw from their closest relationships. They'll withdraw from their friendships. They don't go out with their friends anymore. Um, in the personal relationships, like the closest ones, of course, you know, we'll, we'll choose people that we can still, I guess, focus on and give all of our energy to, but this often leads to, um, um, other types of challenges because when we're, we have a thyroid condition, this actually can affect our mood as well. And so the people that are closest to us are going to see that, um, we may have problems with managing our emotions. So I know for myself, I used to be, I'm just, I've always been a very diplomatic person and, and never really somebody that was in a bad mood. But when I had thyroid disease, when my thyroid was really out of balance, all of a sudden I couldn't control my emotions. And so if something was upsetting me, I would just start crying or I would start yelling. Um, there were women who have reported getting divorced because of thyroid disease because it made them so irritable that they would get angry at their husbands for everything. Um, for, for me also, and for other women, anxiety can be caused by having a thyroid condition. And so you end up becoming incredibly hypervigilant and anxious, which is never fun for the person closest to you because um, you know, my husband, for example, would go running and if, if it was an hour and he wasn't back yet, I would be freaking out, calling hospitals, calling the non-emergency police number and, and wondering if there was a runner that had collapsed or been hit by a car. And when they told me that, no, there wasn't, I would, I would just say, okay, well, he must have ran off with another woman. I, I bet that's what happened. And it's these kinds of things that can really interfere with you, you, your ability to, to have a loving and caring relationship where, where you really trust the other person. I don't think this is something that many people talk about, but unfortunately people have, um, have been divorced because of thyroid disease because of the, the way that it takes a toll, um, on the emotional body. The other kind of side effects may be, you know, uh, changes in libido. So whenever we have a person that's fatigued and their thyroid function function is off, um, we're not going to have the the best libido. And so oftentimes it's like, okay, you, you lose that intimacy 
and you are getting angry at your partner and you're withdrawing from the world. So you, you no longer are the fun person that you used to be. And, and this can be very, very crushing for relationships. Wow. I'm really glad that we, I asked you that question. That was a great answer. That had a lot of gems in there, like the sex drive and, you know, the moodiness, the depression, um, anxiety. So people will go to the doctor. They'll put down that done as one of their major symptoms. And the doctor just immediately uh, says, well, let's try you on an uh, antidepressant. Uh, So there's just way too many people on antidepressants. And so I think it's really important that we brought that up. I'm hoping lots of people are taking notes on that. Um, And I think, too, as a parent, um, a lot of times women uh, with Hashimoto's are actually younger women in your generation. They're having children. And they don't have the energy to take care of those kids, so they want to be great parents. They, they, um, I think this your generation has great parenting skills today, and we're raising some amazing kids. But if you don't have energy, you're not a good parent. You know, you just don't have time to have fun and play with your children, and that's a really important part of parenting. So I'm really glad we covered that. Um, so in your, let's go back to your first book on um, the root cause. Hashimoto is the root cause, like. What do you mean by when you say the root cause? Hmm. So looking at what's going on in thyroid disease, I'm always interested in what's causing the balance, the the thyroid gland to be out of balance. And, um, you know, I would say there's not necessarily just one root cause for every person. A person may have multiple root causes. Generally, they're going to be categorized in six different potential pathways. So one of the ones, one of the potential root causes may be toxins. So an overburdened detox pathway can be a way that um, can trigger thyroid disease. An impaired stress response is another potential root cause. We're looking at intestinal permeability as another root cause, um, food sensitivities, nutrient depletions, as well as chronic infections. So really, um, for some people, the root cause and what's leading to their condition to be out of balance might be just one of those things. For some people, it's just gluten sensitivity. They get off of gluten, that's their root cause, and they no longer have thyroid symptoms. They no longer have thyroid disease if they stay off of gluten for long enough and um, permanently that will help them achieve a complete remission of their condition. Now, for other people, they might have root causes across the board where they might have um, impaired adrenals, they might have toxins, they might have um, food, multiple food sensitivities, they might have multiple infections. And so it, the root cause is really trying to figure out what is, what is the driving factor and what is triggering your condition and what's exacerbating your condition. So in every single one of those cases that you mentioned, a person really does need to change their diet. Would you say that's the first step? Is that where you would start? Yeah, absolutely. So whether diet is your root cause or if it's an exacerbating factor, I found um, various foods just don't work for people with Hashimoto's. Um, 88% of people with Hashimoto's feel significantly better gluten-free and And what's interesting is that they actually have more improvements in fatigue, weight, as well as um, their their mood by following a gluten-free diet. More people see more improvements than by taking thyroid hormones, which is is kind of crazy. Um, But that's really the first step. For some people, this may be the only step. And about 
anywhere from 15 to 20% may get into remission just by following um, a nutritional protocol where they change up their diet, they go gluten-free, they get off of dairy, they get off of processed sugars, they balance their blood sugar, and they can go into complete remission in some cases. But in other cases, I would say 90% of the time, we're going to see a huge improvement in symptoms and a reduction in the aggressiveness of the condition when we um, when we take away some of the reactive foods and add in some supportive foods. Well, you know, a lot of uh, traditional doctors, when somebody goes to them and they look at your thyroid and suspect that you have you have Hashimoto's, for example, that they think it's inevitable that it's just there's nothing they can do. They're going to put you on thyroid. Um, medication, not necessarily the best thyroid medication, but they're going to let that condition continue on and get worse until finally your thyroid gland is destroyed. But you've used the term remission several times. Let's talk about that. There's, And then let's talk about the word cure, remission, cure. Um, let's give us some, some thoughts on that. Yeah. So um, according to conventional medicine, there's not really anything you can do once you have a thyroid condition other than to keep taking thyroid hormones, which may, may or may not help, and then um, continue to get tested for um, additional autoimmune conditions. We know that Hashimoto's is progressive, so there are five stages to it. The first stage, for all intents and purposes, you just have the genetic predisposition. In the second stage is when we start seeing that the immune system starts to recognize the thyroid gland as a foreign invader, and this is where the symptoms start. Um, the third stage is when we start seeing thyroid gland failure. So enough of the thyroid gland has been destroyed by the immune system, and um, the thyroid gland be- becomes um, not able to produce enough hormones, and that's when we see subclinical hypothyroidism. The fourth stage is when we get into hypothyroidism. This is complete thyroid gland failure. Um, the fifth stage, and this is the when most people are diagnosed, the fifth fifth stage is actually progression to other types of autoimmune conditions because the immune system is still out of balance regardless of whether you take thyroid hormones or not, and that can be progressive. And so from the conventional medical standpoint, you can just move forward in the stages. From the functional medicine standpoint, we can actually stop the progression of the condition. We can actually reverse the stages. And um, in many cases, we can get into remission. What um, what I've seen is with the current interventions we have and the things that I describe in my Hashimoto's protocol book and on my website is we can get, I would say, virtually every person symptom-free and feeling their best with having Hashimoto's. Then there's a subset of people who can get into complete remission once we identify those triggers. So they're no longer attacking their own thyroid. They're no longer attacking their own body. We can measure this by thyroid antibody tests. That's one way to measure this. And their condition is no longer progressive. Then there's also a subset of people that can actually reduce their need for thyroid hormones and in some cases completely get off of thyroid hormones. And so in that case, if you don't have the symptoms anymore and if you don't have the markers of the disease anymore where your body's no longer attacking itself and then you don't need thyroid hormones in a way, um, you could say that some people may be able to attain a functional cure. Now, that doesn't mean that if, if, that if they're exposed to another kind of thyroid toxin that they won't have um, thyroid disease again because they still have the genetic predisposition 
and given the right kind of triggers, that genetic predisposition could again occur. Um, and so I think it's a really exciting time, for lack of a better phrase, to have Hashimoto's because we can actually move back in the stages, we can get rid of all the symptoms, and in some cases, some people are actually able to wean off of thyroid hormones as well. Well, we can if they have your information, your advice. Now, I love the second book. Of course, I think the first book's great too, but the second book is definitely my favorite. Because, you know, and I will say that years ago when I wrote The Body Ecology Diet and it's still a bestseller, people would say after they read the book, they're completely enrolled, they decide they have this problem and they're going to do something about it. And they would say to me, okay, what do I do next? And then I realized that, you know, I didn't have a book like you have what this new book of yours, where you literally take people's hands and walk them right through exactly what they have to do. I love the way you structured it. When you sent me the galley, I thought, this is brilliant. I, you must have put a lot of thought into the way you structured it, or you must have one of these amazing minds that's just very organized, because it's very, very impressive the way it's structured. So can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, this is the kind of stuff that keeps me up at night. So I used to work in, um, when I worked in public health, I discovered quality improvement and systems and efficiency. And so what I learned about was how to improve the quality of the healthcare system. And it was always about how do you give people the opportunity to get better? And how do you simplify this for them? And how do you shortcut their time to getting better? And so my book is based on, on that method and that principle of, of how do I help somebody get better in the quickest amount of time with the least amount of headache and with the least amount of, I guess, investment on their part. So they don't have, of course, they have to be invested, but they don't have to become a Hashimoto's expert to recover and get their health back. They, they just have to follow a specific um, protocol that I've laid out for them that's been effective in about 80% of the people that I've worked with. And so the first half of the book is the fundamental protocols. And the fundamental protocols, these are things that every single person with a thyroid condition with Hashimoto's should do, regardless of their root cause. So regardless if they are an advanced case or if they're a, or if they're a beginning case, if they have 17 root causes, if they just have one root cause, doing the fundamental protocols is going to help them. In some cases, it can actually put them in remission. Now, the fundamental protocols cover liver support. They cover adrenal support and gut support. We can um, dive into those a little bit more as well. But um, when you go through these protocols, you're going to be systematically supporting these three body systems that are going to be out of balance in every single person in Hashimoto's. So um, I would say 97% of my people that I've worked with have some level of toxicity. 95% have, um, have a degree of adrenal dysfunction that is severely advanced. Um, and then we also have about 100% of people with intestinal permeability or leaky gut. And so these protocols aim to reset those three systems so that you can start feeling better. And this is a way of building your body and strengthening it. And the advanced protocols of the book, these go under, these go after individual root causes. And so what I've done is I've created an assessment based on my work with thousands of people that helps to pinpoint various types of root causes. When I first started working with people, I would have them take a whole bunch of functional medicine tests, which are fantastic, but also very expensive. And then you have to 
collect the test results and then it takes some time before you can take action. My assessments help to shortcut that because they help to kind of tweak out the most likely scenarios and the most likely types of root causes for you. And so once you've gone through the fundamental protocols or if you want to layer the advanced protocols on top, you have that option to do so where you um, can figure out if you have various types of infections. And I go through how to test for them, what, what is the screening, like what are symptoms that suggest you have an infection, what tests you need to do. And then once you find out that you have an infection, what is the exact protocol that you need to follow to, um, to clear that infection out of your body? And that's the way that I've set this up. And the advanced protocols go through toxins. They go through um, traumatic stress as a trigger. They go through infections, hormone balancing, um, as well as nutrients and nutrition. So we really kind of dive deeper into the advanced protocols. And, and some people may not even need the advanced protocols. They might just um, actually get into remission just using the fundamentals. Well, I wanted to add that, you know, you're really a great communicator. That's one of your talents, in my opinion, and you're very, you explain things beautifully. That comes through in the book. There is a lot of information, but it's explained. And I felt like I was, you were talking to me. I didn't feel like I was reading a book when I read everything. I did read, I, I was busy, had a lot going on, and I found myself just flowing, you know, from one topic to the next, really enjoying, you know, enjoying, I, I actually know everything in the book, but I loved how you presented it. And I loved the way, how simple and clear it was. And, you know, even if I know something, I love to see how someone explains it because that there's a real art in that. And so maybe somebody's read other books on thyroid, but um, I think that if you read another book on thyroid and it's very well, the communication is so great that you're going to, have these aha thoughts and moments and realizations that you didn't notice in the other thyroid book that you read, because maybe it was a little bit more scientific or technical. And so you really wrote the book as if you're speaking right directly to the person. I love that about it. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. And, and, and that was my goal is to make it approachable. That's my number one goal is to make it as helpful and approachable as possible for people. And I'm always often, I'm always really excited to share my unique um, research that I've been able to uncover with people with Hashimoto's that I know I've been in communication with you about, such as um, such as various types of pathogens, including blastocystis hominis, that can be a trigger for Hashimoto's and, and the different types of protocols that can be used. And so th this is really, um, you know, my life's work. And thank you for your kind words. Well, well, let's go there too. Um, everything I say, I sincerely mean it, but you just mentioned, reminded me of something to um, discuss. And that's, you know, for years I've been studying candidiasis and what, 25 years ago, when Dr. Crook wrote this book, The East Connection, there was just, first of all, nobody, his colleagues totally thought it was ridiculous. There wasn't anything as a yeast problem because we have yeast in our body. Uh, they were completely wrong. We know now that many, many people have systemic yeast infections because there's the yeast is pathogenic. Well, I still find, I still feel very frustrated at how little understanding there is of candidiasis, this condition of having yeast overgrowth. And one of the things that the yeast, you know, produce is uh, one of the reasons they harm it so much is they produce toxins, lots of them. 
One of the most serious toxins they produce is called acetaldehyde. And acetaldehyde keeps T4, this really important hormone that's secreted by the uh, thyroid gland, turning into T3. And T3 goes into every cell in the body, and that's the active form. So you have to turn T4 into T3. And if you've got a yeast infection, you're not doing that. And that, So I would love to talk about that a little bit more, because I think uh, I, I want people to understand these toxins. Another important toxin, well, actually several of the toxins, gliotoxin is one of them. That toxin that the yeast are secreting, it's slamming the immune system, tearing, shredding apart the the um, DNA inside of the white blood cells. You have to have your immune system working properly to fight this candidiasis. And if you've got yeast in your body 24-7, uh, you're going to have uh, an immune system that's completely in overwhelm, completely unable to protect us, to notice um, what's what's real and what's an, what's us and what's an enemy. So if we could talk for a little while around this topic too, Isabella, about pathogens in our body like viruses and yeast and bacterial infections, not just in the gut, but systemically. Um, parasites, we have a lot of parasites that live inside of us. They come in on our food and the small intestine is very, very long. And we eat these foods like, like bread, for example, is real gummy and sugar and protein. And that creates a slimy substance in the gut. And so the parasites that are in our body, which would normally move on through and be eaten up by the healthy bacteria, they get stuck in that material in the small intestine. So there's a lot of parasites inside of every single human being, animals too, but you know, there are too many of them today. Some we can deal with, but there are too many of them in most of us. So these parasites are secreting uh, toxins as well. And and so I just would like to, you know, like how much do you think that that's a factor, these infections? Wow. The infections are a huge, huge factor. And they're really so underappreciated. I, I love, um, I know in the body ecology diet, you talked about parasites and um, nobody was talking about them at the time. But with Hashimoto's, I feel like that's a really, really underappreciated root cause. Um, to give you kind of an idea of um, a little study I did with my clients in 2015, I only work with people who um, who basically have failed the gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free diet. Now, not to say that I won't work with people um, that eat those kinds of diets, but I just have so much wonderful information uh, for people to get started on their own and, and you do. And I feel like people don't necessarily need to consult with like somebody like, like us to get started on the diet. So oftentimes my population that I work with is going to be somebody that's already done the diet. And now what I've done with, with those people is I've actually tested them for various things and 80% of them came out with a gut infection. Um, this, that was pretty startling. So about, um, majority of them, not majority of them, um, a big percentage made, was made up by the blastocystis hominis parasite. H. pylori was another common infection. Yeast was another very common infection and then SIBO. And then all kinds of various parasites were also present in, in different types of, um, amounts. And so, and this is something that's really, really important for people to know, especially if they're already kind of following a healthy diet, because if you have these infections within your body, no matter what you're eating, you're, you're going to become sensitive to it. So you could be eating the healthiest diet 
complete in the entire world. But if you have an infection, like for example, blasto, the blasto can actually make you get new food sensitivities because it's consistently leaking your gut. And no matter what you're eating is going to be getting into your bloodstream. So that's one of my big things for people is if you're eating a clean diet, if you're eating, um, you know, the body ecology diet, if you're eating paleo diet or whatever other kind of diet that you find is most helpful to you, but you still haven't reached remission or reached your health goals, there's a potential that, that if you have Hashimoto's 80% of the time, you're going to have another kind of infection. Well, I know a big question that just now popped into everybody's head is how do you test for these viruses and bacterial infections, parasites, and so on? How, uh, what do you do so you can identify that in the people you work with? One of the things is um, doing functional medicine testing. So there's a few different tests I recommend. And I wish there was just like one test that figured everything out, but unfortunately there isn't one at the, on the market. And so I'll recommend doing breath testing for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. That's um, one study found that about 50% of people with hypothyroidism have that, and that can cause leaky gut. 50%? 5-0? Five zero. Mm-hmm. It was wow. a small study, only about a hundred people, but it, it's still pretty significant. So that that's an important potential root cause. Um, then we're looking at um, yeast overgrowth. Now, a lot of the tests I used to use um, didn't test for yeast. I actually just generally assume that most people with Hashimoto's have a yeast overgrowth, and that Ditto. is going to be something. Yeah, I agree that with that. Right, that you we just need to address and we need to tr- treat across the board. So I'm always recommending body ecology diet for um, for people who are looking to overcome their yeast infections um, within their gut. Isabella, can we just back up there? Because um, that's another thing that I would like to clarify because, um, you know, a gut infection, let's say someone takes an antibiotic and they destroy the bacteria in their gut and their, the yeast start overgrowing and they have a, a gut infection. Um that's important to know. Uh, something I want to throw in here too that people don't realize is that right now a lot of people are eating bone broth. And yes, it's great for you in many ways, but every food has a front and a back, positive and negative side to it. And if you have yeast in your gut and you drink bone broth, they're going to use the collagen in there to make oxalates. So I just want people to, I just kind of want to warn people about that and I don't have a chance to do that as often. You know, you just can't tell everybody everything they need to know or that you want them to know. So I just had to throw that in there. But but really, um, I know a lot of people think that it's a gut problem, but when it becomes systemic is when it's really, which is what it is in most people, is when it's a real problem. And so today, I also just assume, uh, as a matter of fact, when a woman has a baby, we assume that baby's born with a yeast infection because most of them are. Because we've been using antibiotics for so long that when a woman gets pregnant, her progesterone and cortisol and sugar and all goes up like it's supposed to. Our mothers with children with autism, they know their children have yeast infection. So your child might have a lot of diaper rashes or a lot of uh, even you know thrush in their mouth. But so we know babies are born with it. So the first thing we do to prevent autism is start to conquer that inf- uh, that yeast infection in a baby, which is a whole different story. But I really want people to, un- to know that too that it's it's the gut, but it's also uh, more commonly, it's actually systemically. So that little baby could be born with systemic infection and not a gut infection at all. And I know you know that. I just wanted to uh, just pop that in there as a little extra bit of information. 
and 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 people can test for a systemic infection on these with different um like for example the genova has a test that will tell you what your if you have yeast as a problem or if you've had yeast as a problem so sorry to sort of distract you with what you were going to say there but can do you remember what you were going to say can you go on yeah absolutely and thank you thank you so much for clarifying that as soon as i said gut i was like i meant systemic but um yeah definitely with with testing for um various infections i do like to do gut testing as a baseline for everybody because that intestinal permeability leaky gut is going to be present in every person and so um we're looking um i like the 401h test by biohealth lab that's one of the tests that's helpful for figuring out if you have a pathogen within your gut i like the gi map test that's a new one that's been very helpful and then the gi effects test that can be really really helpful to see what's growing on inside of your gut and um, now H. pylori will, will come out on those kinds of tests and the various parasites will as well. And now getting into more of the other types of infections, we, um, we also can have viruses that can trigger thyroid disease. And these are usually going to be, I would say, um, not necessarily found on gut testing. In fact, most gut tests will miss if you have viruses. Um, viruses are going to be um, potentially present in the thyroid gland. So there's a few different ways that infections can trigger autoimmune disease. One of the ways is through leaky gut. So when we have an infection within the gut, um, which we just talked about, that can trigger intestinal permeability, and then there's an immune system confusion, and then um, we end up with autoimmune disease. And then another way is through molecular mim- mimicry, where an infection is present within the body somewhere, anywhere, could be within the gut or outside the gut. And then we end up having um, a part of the pathogen that looks like the that looks like the thyroid gland. And then when the immune system starts to attack the pathogen, it also will attack the thyroid gland. Then, of course, infections can produce various toxic byproducts that can congest our liver or be directly toxic to the thyroid gland or prevent thyroid hormone congestion or conversion, as um, we had discussed. Then there's also another mechanism that's um, the bystander effect. Now, this is when an infection is within a specific organ, and then the immune system tries to attack the home of the infection, right? And so it affects, it, it attacks the infection and the surrounding tissue. And this ends up happening when we have a viral infection inside of the thyroid gland. The most common infection that's found in people with Hashimoto's is the Epstein Barr virus infection. Um, most common viral infection. And this is found inside of the thyroid gland. And when we have this infection, if it's reactivated, it's basically triggering the immune system to come and attack the thyroid. Have you ever wondered what it is about the thyroid gland that makes these infections attack it? Or I know with yeast infections, um, they want to stay alive in your body and they do a lot of things to make sure that they do stay alive. Like they affect your brain and make you crave foods that will make you more acidic. And that's going to be, you know, helpful. That's the environment they want to live in. Um, just, you know, I just, you, there may not be an answer to this, but I just wondered, you know, if you, why the thyroid gland, there's, why not the lungs or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they're all being af- affected, but the little thyroid gland is so, has so many functions to play that, and it's small that when it starts to go down, it's a big deal. 
one of the one of the reasons is because the thyroid gland is a concentrator and so one of the really big mechanisms of the thyroid gland is to sense our environment and um, there's a recent study that showed that the thyroid gland can actually send danger signals to the rest of the body when it feels like there's a threat in in our environment and one of the ways that it does that is by being a concentrator. So it concentrates various nutrients and concentrates toxins. It can concentrate infections. And this is, this is um, a way, it's kind of an example of adaptive physiology, how our bodies um, have evolved to essentially protect us. Because when you think about in times of um, cave woman days, right, if you were in danger, Let's say um, if you were if you were in danger of not surviving the winter because it was very cold and then you didn't have a lot of food, um, it probably wasn't the best time to get pregnant, right? Because pregnancy requires nutrients and resources, and it probably wasn't the best time to run around and be out in the world. And so one of the things that the thyroid gland does is it slows down our metabolism, and so it sort of puts us in a semi hibernation state where in, in times like that, a person with thyroid disease would be more likely to survive the winter because they'd be able to survive and thrive on lower amounts of calories because of their slowed down metabolism. They'd be sleeping the whole day <laughs> um, and they'd be a lot more tired. So essentially it would be, it would be kind of like, like helping a bear survive the winter. What's interesting is that bears, when they're hibernating, they actually have um, alterations in their thyroid hormones. So their thyroid hormones are low during hibernation and that helps them survive the winter. And so in a way, the thyroid gland has evolved and to really protect us and to sense the dangers around us. And it, it's kind of one of those things where we have our ancient bodies in the modern world. And this is why we end up with so many cases of autoimmune thyroid disease is because um, the thyroid gland is still sort of doing its job. And so it's sensing toxins and infections around us. And it, it's, it's kind of like, okay, well, this is not a good time to reproduce. This is not a good time to burn calories. I'm going to help you out. I'm going to slow things down for us and help you survive. So I'm always thinking about when you're getting to the root cause of your thyroid condition, what are the, the signals that your body is receiving? What are the signals that you're sending to your body that are causing your thyroid gland to want to sl slow things down for you. And it could be an infection. It could be a toxin. It, it could even be an emotion. Well, you know, the yeast, getting back to that again, they, um, as I mentioned before, secrete this toxin, acetaldehyde, they, which prevents T4 from turning into T3 and getting into the cells, giving the cells energy. What happens is that you become cold and tired, and that's perfect for the yeast. They don't like heat. They like a cold body. So I think that's another thing that's perpetuating a systemic yeast infection is having a low thyroid. There, you know, it's kind of a chicken and egg thing. So, you know, do you treat your yeast and help your thyroid? You help your thyroid, and that helps the yeast. You really have to do have a protocol that's doing all of that, and that's what yours is. That's why I, I love this book. Yeah, thank you so much, and thanks for saying that because it's really becomes a vicious cycle when we have a person with a thyroid condition. So, in, in the example of the the yeast, the same thing happens with toxins. So toxins can set off the, the body to um, slow down the thyroid gland. And then once the thyroid gland is slower, 
then you stop sweating as much um, and then you're not clearing out toxins. Then your liver's not working as well and you're not clearing out toxins. So it's, it's sort of like a vicious cycle that just keeps continuing until you do something that breaks the cycle apart. And that's why um, that's why I'm so passionate about letting people know that there's a lot more to recovering from a thyroid condition from Hashimoto's than just getting on the right thyroid hormone. Yes, thyroid hormone can be really helpful, but then it's like, okay, now do you have a yeast overgrowth that could be triggering and exacerbating your condition and could be exacerbated by your condition? So same with small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, um, not having enough thyroid hormones on board is going to lead to that getting worse. So it's really, um, really a whole body comprehensive approach that's needed to, to get, um, reset and to get into remission and to, to recover your health. That's perfectly said. Thank you for saying it that way. And the liver, you know, I always think of the liver as part of our digestive tract. I know people think of them as separate organs. I've noticed that people think that the liver is storing a lot of toxins, uh, but the liver's main job is, is to, process the toxins, then make bile, put the toxins in the bile, hand the bile to the gallbladder and let them stay, you know, sit there until you eat. And then the gallbladder drops the bile down into the small intestine where it mixes with our food and helps digest fat, but then it stimulates peristaltic movement and then things move on out of the body uh, through the small and then the large intestine and then out. So that to me, the liver and the, um, producing that uh, bile and then, you know, stimulating the gut, like they're, they're really a team, they're working together. And of course, the, the, the thyroid and the adrenal are a team. So those little teams all over the body that have to be working. But I mean, I'd like to talk a little bit more about the liver, the gut, the gut connection, we're running out of time. But like, let's talk about the gut and just the thyroid gland. What, 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 you know, if you have a problem in your gut, how is that affecting the thyroid? And what does the thyroid do in the gut? <laughs> I guess the best way to say it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's definitely a two-way street. And we know that thyroid cells and gut cells actually have the same fetal origin, which is which is quite interesting. Um, and whatever you kind of you can you can draw a very close parallel that every person with um, an autoimmune thyroid condition will have leaky gut or intestinal permeability. And this this is definitely a two-way street. Um, one of the things that of course can happen is that having um, leaky gut can trigger autoimmune disease. And I, you know, I know we've talked about this before in some of our other interviews, but the other part of it too, is that the thyroid gland does actually impact the gut too. And so what we're happening, what we're seeing in people with hypothyroid is we're seeing that they're not producing enough hydrochloric acid. In some cases, they're not producing any hydrochloric acid. So they're not digesting their foods properly because they're not making stomach acid. Um, and this ends up have, leading to more food sensitivities. Their um, transit time slows down. So they're not moving food and nutrients and um, bacteria and things fast enough throughout their body. And so this can result in having constipation. This can result in having small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Um, and then we're also going to see a reduction in various types of other digestive enzymes where um, we're having more trouble with digesting fiber. We're having more trouble with um, digesting fats as well. And so this is across the board where um, my, you know, really my big approach and my, my big thought is you have to heal your gut if you want to heal your thyroid. Because when your gut is out of balance, you're going to have problems with your thyroid. But 
if you have a gut that's out of balance, you also need to be mindful of your thyroid hormones to make sure that everything is moving properly. And and the thyroid um, hormone is made in the gut too, a little bit of it, right? Um, so definitely thyroid hormones um, can be, um, what's really the important part is activating thyroid hormones. And so they're going to be activated in the gut and then in the liver. And if your gut's not working properly, a lot of times people will say that they are taking thyroid hormones, the synthetic T4 thyroid hormones, and they're not working properly. But then when we support their gut and their liver, all of a sudden their thyroid hormones start working better as well. You mentioned a term fetal origin. Can you just define that? What you meant? What What did you mean when you said uh, there's a connection? Oh, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so like the same precursor cells. So when we have, um, when we're first developing, then the same kind of cells that turn into the gut turn into the thyroid gland. Right. And then the thyroid, I know there's a real great also connection there between the adrenals and the ovaries. And so there, you, you will see if you look at the development of the embryo, how everything is all connected to each other. So of course it's connected. That's why it's so silly to have traditional medicine having these specialty fields without also looking at the whole picture. You know, there's a gene in the gut. I've been really into genes for the last couple of years, and there's a new gene I've been researching and taking a look at called the mucin gene, M-U-C-I-N. And I'm finding uh, when I check that on people, there's a lot of people that have a variant there. And that gene produces mucus on the lining of the gut. And the lining of the gut is um, really, really important. It's like a tiny, very thin layer um, and if you don't have the mucus there producing that, that makes you more susceptible to gut problems. Also, blood type is interesting. Like in the book, when I first wrote it, I have a whole chapter on blood, blood type. I know people, you know, they don't talk about it much, but this is something you can look at very clearly and prove with research is that blood type A, they don't produce um, alkaline phosphatase, this enzyme in the gut that helps them digest proteins and fats. So they're the ones I find, like when I started working with children with autism 15 years, 16 years ago, I would always ask, you know, what's your son's blood type or what's your blood type? And over and over and over and over, so many times they said they were um, blood type A. So I think A is more susceptible to many conditions. That's what Dr. Peter Diodama said when he wrote the book. Um, So that's another gut issue that's going on. You know, another thing happening in the gut too, that gene things that I just wanted to throw into the conversation here. Um, so the gut is really, really important. But the other thing I wanted to say, if you don't put digest protein because you lack stomach acid or you lack this alkaline phosphatase enzyme, then undigested protein, well, I mean, even if you don't chew well, but undigested protein, uh, turns into ammonia, which is a really dangerous toxin, uh, to the brain and to the body. And this, these endogenous toxins that we are constantly producing in our body, don't get enough attention either. That's my take on the whole thing. So tell everybody the name of your book and where to buy it. I'm sure it's on Amazon. We want this book to be another bestseller. I'm sure it's going to be, but uh, just could you talk about the book a little bit um, more? Like, you know, the name of it. We haven't even told everybody the name. Oh, right. Yeah, we've had so much fun chatting. Um, so the book is called Hashimoto's Protocol, and it's a 90-day to plan to recover from thyroid symptoms. And this can be found anywhere on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, in bookstores. Um, Really, my purpose with the book is to give people a plan that they can get started on right away to start eliminating some of those symptoms. And 
Um, I don't think I mentioned this, but within my, my testing of my clients and some of the people in my group program that have gone through the two-week liver support protocol, 65% of them started feeling significantly better just within the first two weeks. So even people that have been sick with thyroid disease for 10 years, people who had worked with functional medicine practitioners. So this is kind of a, a big breakthrough for me is to start supporting the liver right away for um, people with Hashimoto's because we start seeing all kinds of symptoms vanish with multiple chemical sensitivities vanishing. We start seeing headaches going away, joint pains going away, people getting more energy and um, their brain working better and you know, kind of losing a couple of pounds here and there within the first few weeks. So this is something that is um, the very first protocol in the book. And I highly recommend that people who, anybody who's struggling with Hashimoto's check it out and, and, and try it out because it's made a tremendously, um, it, it, this has made a huge difference in so many people that I've worked with. And it's, it's, I wasn't necessarily going to write another book on Hashimoto's, but once I came across, um, the liver support protocol and I've perfected it over the last few years, this has been a huge breakthrough and I think it can be very, very helpful. That sounds fantastic. I think this is a perfect place to end. Thank you so much for writing the book, for being here and talking to us about it. I hope that this interview has really helped people and most of all inspired them to realize that they can absolutely get well and the thyroid is a very, very important part of their journey to wellness. Thank you so much, Donna. You're such an inspiration. I really appreciate the work that you're doing and thank you for having me. It's been an honor. Oh, thank you. It's just, I'm so proud of you, uh, Isabella, what you've done. And I don't know, where, what's your next book going to be? I'm curious. You know what I'm always suggesting it be. <laughs> what suggestions do you have? Well, I think it's time to do a book on having a beautiful, healthy, fantastic baby and how important the thyroid is. We didn't bring that into this conversation, but pregnancy, fertility problems, what happens to oh, a woman gosh. during her pregnancy, how to test for the thyroid, you know, how important it is to test the thyroid before, during, after the pregnancy. I've, I've worked with women who literally had miscarriages and it was their thyroid. So I know we don't have time to go into that, but we can do another one, just another interview on just that topic. But there's a huge need for that book. So everybody listening that wants Isabella to write a book on pregnancy and fertility, um, send her an email on her website, whichever her email, what, where, how do people reach you if they want to post a comment or thank you for writing the book or anything? They can go to my Facebook page, which is Dr. Isabella Wentz Thyroid Pharmacist, or they can go to my website, thyroidpharmacist.com. And I actually have a gift for them if they go to thyroidpharmacist.com slash gift, where we get into nutrient depletions. And um, I give them some quick start um, thyroid diet guidelines. Perfect. Once again, thank you very, very much for being with us. And I thank everybody for taking the time out of their very busy day to listen. I know you're going to find information in our interview here that will make a big difference in your life. So thank you.